My Selection to a Waterfowl, a poem by William Cullen Bryant by Walter Baum. The sound was incredible. These elegant white swans in single file, flying low, approached us like Japanese Mitsubishi A6M0s approaching Pearl Harbor. This was two weeks ago in Cape May, New Jersey at the Nature Conservancy. It is a prime location for bird watchers and photographers. My wife, Mary Jane, was taking photos for a graduate class. I've never heard the sound of a bird's flight, the displacement of air. I was hoping Mary Jane was getting some good shots. It was hard to get the shutter speed right in the growing darkness on a cloudy day. In scientific terms, that loud whoomp, whoomp, whoomp is called shock waves of expansion and compression fans. My daughter, Madeline, the aerospace grad student at Georgia Tech, just told me that. But she added, that only happens when you're going above the speed of sound. What, like the Coldplay song, Speed of Sound? It's more of the downwash from its wings and the little vortices that spin off their wingtips. Could I even call it a trailing tip vortex? That's why geese fly in a V formation. Whatever it was called, it was a new sound for me. It was incredible. It sounded like the voice of God, just in a different language. And it was just my wife, the swans, and me, and all were in harmony. No one else was around. That was incredible, I told Mary Jane. Then we saw another one. This time, the swan cruised confidently and elegantly through one of the many freshwater tributaries and lakes that reside just beyond the dunes of the Atlantic. When I was young, I could probably throw a baseball and hit the ocean. The swan resembled a Navy cruiser passing through the Chesapeake through from Norfolk, like the ones we've seen when crossing that amazing Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel, a 17.6-mile bridge tunnel that crosses at the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay into Hampton Roads Harbor. We watched the majority of Juan parade in solitary dominion of his kingdom. The swan was making his way to his buddies. I'm not a swan expert, and it could have been a female. Swans are part of the Cygnus genus. They usually mate for life, and that was great to read. This one was a mute swan, Cygnus olor. The orange and black on his majestic face stood out in striking contrast. The color on the male is more pronounced atop the beak. He cruised, knowing no hurry, underneath the bridge we were standing on, and we just loved watching the swan's transit, finding his fellows, his friends, his mate, somewhere in the marsh and reeds, in fear of no one, and a master of all he surveyed. I told Mary Jane, once again, of the story I always tell my students when we read the, the romantic poem To a Waterfowl by William Cullen Bryant. I preface the poem by relating the story of when I was a teenager who had to clean the muck and gunk from our pool. But what was muck for me was a feast for these two mallards that always arrived at the same time every year. It was almost always around the same day in May. It may have been sooner, I'm not sure. I welcomed them as friends. As a solitary guy myself with no girlfriend, I saw in the couple what I wanted for my future, a companion who would roam the skies with me and find shelter and food and raise a brood. 
I heard that mallards mate for life, and that's what I wanted, at least subconsciously. For a week they stayed, and I was sad when I looked for them and they were gone, off to another location, perhaps, to make way for ducklings. Yes, that is an allusion to that amazing children's story. I tell this story about lessons we can learn from nature. That's a big thing from the romantics. Out of all the places to return, why this pool? Why always here? How did they know how to get to my mom's pool in Voorhees, New Jersey? How far had they flown? Wasn't there a better place for them? They didn't have a GPS or a map. Did they just use their instincts? Intuition? Animal biologists could probably tell me, but in the poem, William Cullen Bryant says, there is a power whose care teaches thy way along the pathless coast. The romantics like to use terms other than the traditional God, but can God work also, right? We need to trust in that power or that force or that oversoul. And like Bryant, I spotted the swans and the mallards and asked questions to these waterfowl. Where are you going? Aren't you tired? Are you okay flying alone? Are you scared someone may shoot you? It's getting late, shouldn't you be home by now? I love when Bryant writes, lone wandering, but not lost. The poem is an example of American romanticism, long before Emerson and Whitman and Thoreau and Dickinson and Hawthorne. It is written in iambic triameter and iambic pentameter, consisting of eight stanzas of four lines. The universal moral is one that is easy to notice in this poem, trust in nature and trust in God. We must trust to see in nature, our own nature. We must see what matters most and to dismiss the static and drama and the cost of what Wordsworth would call getting and spending that lay waste our powers. He says, little in nature we see that is ours. It's from his 1802 poem, The World is Too Much With Us. The grandfather of romanticism, Wordsworth, highly influenced the American romantics, like Bryant, who composed to a waterfowl in 1818. And if that was true in Britain in the 19th century, the world being too much with us, think about how much more so now in 2021. Cheers, fans of literature. My wife continued up the path to capture more shots of the lighthouse. I trekked back to the Nero, thinking how lucky I was to have found her. I picked her up at the lighthouse 30 minutes later and kissed her. <laughs>